want you to turn to two places, okay? First, let's go to Romans 7, because that's our passage that we're focusing on. And then once you get there, I want you to go to John chapter 3. Winning the war inside. Winning the war inside. You're going to learn some things today that go contrary to a lot of what you're hearing today in other Christian ministries and media. I'm just asking you to weigh what we're covering today by the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard. The Word of God is the canon. It is the rule. It is the standard by which we measure all things. And you're going to find today what we are covering will make sense. And then you're also going to say, well, you know what? I always wondered about people who say this and this and this, some of these preachers. So keep that in mind as we go through. Now, when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible tells us we are saved from the penalty of sin. In other words, once you're saved, your sins have been taken care of. God has taken them. He's removed them. He's forgiven them. And he's given you in its place God's very own righteousness. We're sealed to the Lord. We have the promise that we're going to live with him forever in heaven, no matter what, whether we succeed or fail in this Christian life, we are saved once you trust Christ. Oh, you guys believe once saved, always saved. That's what the Bible teaches. All right. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, what about people? Now, listen, you got questions about that statement? Please listen to the first part of the book of Romans that we've gone through. It'll answer any questions you have with that. Okay. Once we're saved, though, guess what? We still do sin. We still do things wrong. The fact that the Lord has provided victory for us, though, does not mean that we will necessarily experience it. Yes, God has provided it for all believers. You've trusted Christ as Savior. God gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Word of God. He gives you a new nature. And by that, the grace of God is always there for our help. By that, though, that's not a guarantee that we will experience the freedom that he has provided. How do you experience that? How do you live that? kind of a life, okay? How do we have victory? For people, let's say for an example, maybe you're here today and maybe you have some addiction of some kind. For people who have addictions, what we're covering today is a way out of that. Doesn't that sound good? See, we still have a sin nature within us. Even though we're saved, even though we have eternal life, we still have a sin nature in us. And while its power has been broken, it is not a guarantee that we are going to have successful godly living in this life. There's a battle within us between the two natures, the old nature, which we still have that we're born with, and then the new nature, which we got when we trusted Christ as Savior. But the Lord does show us in his word the way to victory, but you've got to be a believer. You have to be saved first. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Nicodemus, a very religious man, came to Jesus by night, And he asked them some different things. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To go to heaven, you have to be born again. Now look up here. Everybody's born with an old sin nature. Everybody's born with one. To go to heaven, you have to have a new nature. If you are never born again, this is all you have. And therefore, you do not have anything that can get into heaven. You're not equipped. You have to be born again. You have to have a new nature. When you die physically as a believer, the old nature is left behind. All you have is a new nature, born of God. You go to live forever into the presence of God. Now, every believer has two 
natures. And this is why, as a believer, this is why there are times when we still sin, okay? And yes, Christians can live in bondage to the old man, not because they have to, but because they choose to. They choose to instead of living according to the new man that God has given us. So Jesus said, you must be born again. And then in John 3, 16, Jesus explained to Nicodemus what he needed to do to be born again. And you know it, for God so loved the world. Okay, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, you put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, that he died for you and rose from the grave, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only way you get into heaven is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You're not saved by doing good deeds. Scriptures are very clear. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, you see them here and also above me on the screen. It says, for by grace are you saved. How are you saved? Not by good deeds. You notice how you're saved? By God's grace. By God's grace, not by good deeds. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, let me explain it to you. This is you and me. My wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. We've already covered that. To get to heaven, you need a new nature. Your sin needs to be gone. See, heaven's a perfect place for you to get in. You have to be sinless, and none of us are. God says we're all sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. And he says our sin must be paid for, and if we do it, we'll be lost forever, separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for any of us. But most people think by being religious, that'll take care of the sin. No, good works will not save you. Look what it says. It's not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, my religion says God is the one who's the authority. No religion decides whether you're going to get into heaven or or not. Only Jesus decides that. He's the Savior. You must trust in him as your Savior. What about him? Why would you trust in him? Well, watch this. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. God took on flesh. That's who Jesus was and is. He lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross, he paid the debt that we owe for our sin. The penalty that we owe, Jesus did it for us. So we don't have to. He died, was buried, rose from the grave. And he says, if you'll put your faith in him, that he made that payment for you the moment you do. He gives you as a gift everlasting life. He says, once you trust in him, you have everlasting life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never lose you, the Bible says. Yes, once saved, always saved. Why? Because if you could be lost once you're saved, how would you do that? You might say, well, it would be by sinning. Well, how many sins did Jesus pay for when he died on the cross? He paid for all of them. So then what in the world, if I've trusted Christ as Savior and I have the forgiveness of sins, and in God's eternal eyes I have no sin to pay for, then what in the world is going to send me to hell? Nothing. Well, if you quit believing, no, friend, the Bible says if we believe not yet, he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2. So even if you did, now I don't know why you would want to quit believing, but even if you did, Your salvation is not in your faith. 
Your salvation is in the saving power of God. Do we get that? It's a big difference, big difference. People get all bent out of shape about that. Okay, why? Why is it so bad for you to accept the gift of God? God wants to save you. It's a gift. If you trust in Christ, he'll give you everlasting life as a gift. Why don't you want that? Well, the thing that gets in the way is man's pride. See, man wants to be able to say, I earned it. I deserve it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. That's why Jesus had to come because we couldn't save ourselves. And by the way, that's why it says at the end of verse uh, Ephesians 2, 9, not of works, what's the last phrase? Lest any man should boast. If we could get there by our works, sure enough, somebody would be strutting the the, uh, streets of heaven saying, I'm good, I'm good. (laughs) And God says, no, you're not, no, you're not. You haven't read Romans 3 lately. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. So you have to be born again. Now, once you've trusted Christ the Savior, the Lord shows us in his word how to have victory over the sin nature. The bondage has been broken. We don't have to yield to it, but many times we do. And the more we yield to our sin nature, guess what? The more we're going back into a bondage of sorts, back into a bondage. This is why even Christians can live in habitual sin. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, you need to believe it because you're going to see it actually in the Bible today. All right? It isn't the will of God that we do, but it's possible. It's possible. We can adopt. I don't know why we would do it, but we can adopt the bondage once again. Why in the world would we want that? So once saved, the Lord shows us how to have victory over the sin nature. Let's trace this key truth through this last part of Romans chapter seven. The first major issue we have, or the uh, statement is this. Let's see the manifestation of our problem. Let's see the manifestation of our problem. Verses 13 and 14. It says in Romans seven thirteen, was then that which is good made death to me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That which is good referring to the commandments of God. Some people think, well, I'll keep the commandments, that'll get me to heaven. No, trying to keep the commandments will show you what a failure you are. Because the commandments manifest, they show us God's perfect nature, his character. And none of us keeps the commandments. In fact, what the commandments do is show us that we're guilty before God and we can't earn our way. And so Paul is saying, you know what? Now, by the way, he was a Jew, very familiar with the Old Testament law. And he's saying, you know, I know I sinned, but boy, when I start trying to keep the commandments and and, and when I started trying to live according to those, I started seeing how sinful I was because, boy, my old sin nature would rev up in light of that. You notice it says that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. In other words, I know I sin, but boy, when I compare my life to the commandments, I really see how much I sin. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. Okay. It's from God. That's why it's spiritual. But I am carnal or fleshly, sold under sin. And so the commandments come from God himself. They display the perfect righteousness of God. And therefore, when we look at them, we see our failures because we fall short of that. The law is good in that it magnifies 
our sinfulness. The law is good in that it magnified for Paul. It magnified his sinfulness, which made him understand he needed a savior. That's what the law, the commandments do, friend. We must look somewhere else for help because we are failures in ourselves. There you go. That is what the law is about. The law, the commandments show us we're sinners, can't save ourselves. We have to look outside of ourselves because we keep failing. So we look, who can help me? Who else can save me? Yes, the law is doing its job when we see it that way. For I am carnal or fleshly or of the flesh. Now, very important point here this morning. This passage, I try not to spend a lot of time on this kind of stuff, but occasionally we need to fall back or or make known a little bit of Greek, okay? Like one man said, I know a little Greek. He has a restaurant downtown, all right? Um, Sometimes it's beneficial, but even in the English language, we have tenses, right? Now, I'm not saying you don't get along with somebody, tense. I'm just talking tenses as far as verb tenses and so forth. This whole passage here, from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, is written in what's called the present tense. The present tense. Now what that means is this is something actually going on in his life. All right? This is a truth regardless of what day this happens, it is true. That's what the present tense is. The present tense in itself does not mean to habitually practice something. That has been a perversion of the present tense. The present tense simply means whenever this is taking place, this is a fact. That's present tense, all right? And it's the only thing that makes sense in light of Scripture. Now, this entire passage is written in the present tense. Why do I make that an issue? Because here's what's going on. The great apostle Paul is writing this about himself, and he says, this is is a fact of my life. When I fall prey to my old nature, when I succumb to my old nature, you notice when I, it isn't, well, before I was saved, I would, but now I don't do it anymore. Or before I was saved, I would, but now I only do it a little because real Christians don't do it a lot. That's what you're hearing today. You'll hear it over and over. It's in your study Bibles. It's all over the place. You might say, well, what makes you right and other people wrong? It's not a matter of me being right and somebody else being wrong. Here's the problem, folks. Listen, uh, just let me give you some friendly advice and some friendly information this morning, kind of a free sidebar bonus. It is this. A lot of what is being written today is borrowed from other people, not from Scripture, It's borrowed from other people. And therefore, if something is false and somebody embraces it, if they put it in writing or they preach it, that error is simply being perpetuated. It continues on. There's a lot of that going on today. We need to get back to the word of God. Now, again, this is an important point because it does away, this idea of it being in the present tense, it does away with the idea that Paul was writing about a time before he was a Christian. That's what some people say today. Well, this obviously is before Paul was saved because if he's saved, these things wouldn't be going on. Problem, it's present tense. He is saved here and is speaking of the battle within 
believers and the understanding they must come to in order to have victory in their daily life. That's the point. Here in the text, the good he knew that he should do, he was failing to do. And the evil that he knew he shouldn't do, he found himself doing it. Can you relate to that as a Christian? Yeah, you can relate to that. Which leads us to the frustration of the problem in verses 15 through 24. Now track with me on this now, follow along. In verses 14 through 25, we see, and this is key, we see the word I, I, used 27 times. You might say, what's the significance of that? Well, here it is. I am the problem. And this is why he kept failing. Because he was looking at I. He was looking at himself. To have success, I need to focus on Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, not on my problems or my power and ability. It's all about him. It's not about me. All right? Now, Romans 7, verse 15. For that which I do, you notice he doesn't say, for that which I used to do. No, that which I do, present tense. For that which I do, I allow not. Now this word allow, it's the Greek word gnosko. It's usually translated to know or understand, okay? That which I do, I understand not. For what I would, that do I not. For what I would do, that I don't do it. But what I hate, that do I. Now you notice again, present tense. I keep saying it, but you need to understand this. He says, the things I don't want to do, I'm doing them. And the things I ought to do, I find that I don't do them. He saved 25 years when he writes this. 25 years. See, even he could fall back into this issue. And that's what he's talking about. Verse 15. For that which I do, I, I, allow, I allow not or no not, but for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, what I hate, that do I. He didn't fully understand the conflict. He was being pulled in different directions. Now again, there are people today who say that once a person is saved, they will not make a practice of sin any longer. I've heard it over and over and over. Years ago, I heard, I know people don't want me to say this, but I'm going to say it. Years ago, I I was watching a Billy Graham crusade, and he's there boldly saying, he says, I still sin, but I don't practice sin. And I'm thinking, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Every time you say you have to turn from your sins, make Jesus Lord of your life and come forward, that's a false gospel. And if that's not practicing sin, I don't know what is. And don't get offended by that. I know lots of people got saved through Billy Graham crusade in spite of that phraseology at times that he would use. Other times, there are times when he had it clear and I thank God for anybody who gets saved under anybody. Do we understand that? Thank God. But you know what? We have an obligation as preachers to keep it consistent and keep it clear. And we need to do that. Again, people say, well, if you're you're saved, you won't practice sin any longer. It's simply false, folks. It's simply false. Let me give you some examples of this. Well, I still, I don't practice sin any longer. I guarantee you do. As a matter of fact, you are manifesting an attitude that shows you practice sin. Sin. 
See, that's a sinful attitude. It may not be a sinful action, but it's a sinful attitude. You know, we got our list of the 10 evils, right? Oh, some of those 10 evils. You know, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. I don't smoke, I don't go to the bar, I don't, uh, I don't go into stores and rob people at gunpoint. Uh, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not this, I'm not that. It's all, the, it's all and, and you know what? They, they all may be sinful things, but listen to me. God looks at the heart, and there's not only sinful actions, but there's sinful attitudes. Now, when you bring it down to attitudes, and by the way, Sinful attitudes are just as bad in the eyes of God as sinful actions. Jesus talked about it a lot, didn't he? He talked about it a lot. See, when you bring it down to the attitude level, you practice sin. And guess what? Uh Uh-oh. I got three fingers pointing back at me. So do I. It's not good. It's not good. It's bad. But the beauty of this passage is God has provided for us a way to start having victory over those not only wrong attitudes, but wrong actions. What about anger? You know, some of the people who preach this thing about, I don't practice sin, and if you're practicing sin, you're not saved, these are some of the most angry people you'll ever meet. Did you know that? The angry people. Can I give you a little psychology here? You know one of the reasons they're angry? Because they're frustrated with their own sinfulness, but they won't admit it. And so they keep telling you that you're not saved because you're practicing sin, and they know in their hearts they don't measure up, but they are frustrated. So they take it out on you with anger. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It's true, too. It's not only interesting, it's true. What about lust? Oh, most people won't admit to that. Jesus said, you know, don't commit adultery, but I say in your heart that if if a man lusts after a woman, he's already committed adultery in his heart. What about lust? Here you go. Whoa, boy, here we go. You know, we've been talking about the sins of commission. Those are the sins you do. What about the sins of omission? What do you mean? What about missing witnessing opportunities on a regular basis? Well, God can't expect it. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. God says we're supposed to be going in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Are you doing that? Well, I'm more faithful than most people. That's not the question. Are you missing opportunities? Do you do it regularly? Well, then you're practicing sin. It's a sin of omission. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. James 4.17. Hold your place here. Look at it with me. James 4.17. If you didn't bring a Bible today, it'll be right up here on the screen. Look at it. How powerful is this? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It is sin. How about passing by? The Holy Spirit nudges you and says, you know, you need to encourage that people. I I don't have time to encourage that person. I'm busy. I got my schedule. Okay? Grieving the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit. What about the sins of omission? Again, how about this? Going several days without reading your Bible. How about this? How about the first command? How about not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and, and, and mind every day, all the time? 
How about having false gods? Well, I'm not talking about necessarily statues in your house, especially if they're you. Have you been looking in my... No, no, I haven't been looking. (laughs) My name is Tom, but I don't peep, okay? (laughs) How about this one? How about for a man not to love his wife several days as Christ loves the church? Ouch. That's a sin of omission, isn't it? How about missing church, not because you're sick, because you're lazy? By the way, those things turn into a habit real easy. Do you understand your old nature doesn't want to be here? Doesn't want to be here. Here's what I'm saying, folks. Let's be honest. The truth of it is we all do practice sin. We do the same sins at times over and over and over. This is not a good thing. This is a bad thing. What Paul is getting at here is he's saying, listen, I try to do good, but at times I just get frustrated and I fall back into my sinful ways and I start letting the, my old nature dictate the way I live instead of my new nature. I'm having this battle in me. Verse 16, Romans 7, 16. If then I do that which I would not, I do that which I don't want to do, sin. I consent unto the law that it is good. The law shows me that I'm a sinner. He understood he was violating the moral principles of God, which are good. Verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He's talking about, I believe he's talking about a sin nature. The sin nature inside of him. He saw the law as good, but he was still sinning. In other words, there's a battle. Our old natures are alive and active, even though the bondage of it has been broken. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, his old nature he's referring to, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, I have a desire to do what's right, but how to perform that which is good I find not. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I do not find the power within me, in myself, in my flesh to do the right thing. I, I, I. God says, you're not the answer. Here you go, verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now there's two main words in the New Testament having to do with do, the word do. One of them is the Greek word poeo. It means to commit a single act. The other one is the word proso. And the word proso sounds a lot like our word practice, P-R, okay? Practice. This is the word practice. Do here is the Greek word proso. It means to practice. Now you notice backing up who is saying this. Paul is. He's writing in the present tense. He says, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I practice. Paul, even Paul at times, practiced sin. This is what the Bible says. So can Christians practice sin? The answer to that is yes. Should we practice sin? The answer to that is no. So what's the issue? Well, the way of victory has to be learned. 
Paul is a prime example of this, and this is the way it was with Paul. He had to learn this way to victory. He had to learn how to change his faith from himself to Christ. This goes along with, uh, with, well, verse 20. It says, now if I do that, I would not. In other words, I do what I don't want to do. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I still have my sin nature there. Goes along with verse 17. He's not shirking responsibility for his sin. He's simply explaining its source. This is why I'm still doing it, because I have a sin nature in me. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The old nature gives us trouble, okay? It gives us trouble. You might say, well, well how long is that going to happen? Oh, till, you di- till the day you die. But God wants us to have victory. He wants us to have a lot more good days than bad in this regard. Verse 21, I find then a law or a principle that when I would do good, evil is present with me, okay? So I want to do good, that's the new nature, but evil's still there. Getting pulled, getting pulled here. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He's saved. He says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, the new man, okay? He knows it's good. He knows it's true. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, okay? As a Christian, he was being brought into the captivity of sin. The old nature was pulling him, pulling him. Come on, go this way. How can this be for a person who's a Christian? Well, it's because the sin nature's still there. And the more we focus on simple self-will, the more we will continue to fail and be frustrated. The issue comes back to the difference between our position in Christ and our practice in this world. Our position in Christ is perfect, folks. God looks at us and he sees the new man, he sees the new nature, he sees what we're going to be forever. And guess what? We're saved and we're clean and we're pure and that's all great. And he wants us to live with that focus. But the truth of it is, we still got that old nature. Verse 24, kind of the climax here. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Look at it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Not was, am. Present tense. Who, don't miss that. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The word wretched means miserable. Oh, miserable man that I am. See, self-will does not bring the victory. If we are relying on simply our will to have victory over our sin nature, it will not do the job. White-knuckling it through life as a Christian. Oh, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Man, I'm going to try, 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 try to be good, to not sin. And when it, I come temptation, I look at that sin, I say, I'm not going to do it, 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 I'm not going <laughs> to... The more we focus on the wrong, 
The stronger the temptation to do the wrong. That's what he's saying. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Someone once said, this is choice, quote, there are some defeats more triumphant than victories, unquote. Did you get that? There are some defeats more triumphant than victories. When Paul came to the bottom and he says, I am defeated in myself. Ah, Paul, guess what? You're on the verge of seeing where the victory is found, which leads us to the solution. But I want you to notice one thing before we go to verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Look at that next word. He doesn't say what. He says, what does he say? Who? Who? That's an important word because verse 25 is the solution to the problem. It says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The late great Arno Gabaline said this, quote, he has reached the end of self. He looks now for deliverance from another source outside of himself. The answer comes at once. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, unquote. Who will deliver me? Here it is. The same one who saved you initially will save you daily. That is such a key thing, folks, that we have to learn in life. We can look to ourselves and simply only to ourselves. And we can have a good desire and a desire to live pure and a desire to not give in and yield to the flesh and maybe to an addiction or something like this. But the more we look to ourselves, the more frustrated we will be The one who saved us from hell to heaven is the same one who will save us from our sin now that we're experiencing unto victory, okay? He saved us eternally. He's the same one who will save us practically on a daily basis. Go with me to Galatians 5. This is our last verse here today. Galatians chapter 5. You've heard me say this a couple times already during this series, that the book of Galatians is a mini Romans. It's kind of like taking Romans and then you condense it down, you end up with Galatians. Here in Galatians chapter 5, it says in verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you see that? Let me misread it. If you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, you're walking in the spirit. No, that's not what it says. See, you cannot fulfill the lusts of the flesh temporarily by self-will, but not long-term. No, the way to have regular victory is to walk in the Spirit. That means under the control of the Holy Spirit. That is by faith in the Lord and His Word, okay? As we look to the Lord, we get tempted. We immediately turn to the Lord. Lord, I'm looking at you. I'm meditating on you. I'm meditating on your word. I want to do the right thing. Lord, you are so great. You are so awesome. You are so wonderful. Friends, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Grace. 
The unmerited kindness and favor of God provides for us all we need to have victory. Will we still fail? We will. But it isn't that God hasn't given us the solution. It's that we fail to apply that solution. Two keys in closing. So then Galatians 5.16 and really Romans 7 teaches us two practical ways to put this, put feet on what we've covered today. The first one is this, trust. This is dependence on the Lord. It is to look to him in faith, asking him for power. We don't have the power in I, quote unquote, in me, in myself. We don't have the power. We look to the Lord, we trust in him, he provides that for us, and then we are to obey. This is to do what is right. This is to obey his word as we trust in him. The Lord enables us to obey, and when we do then, we gain the victory. Now listen, people who take this seriously, they can give testimony of the freedom they find in Christ. I don't care what sin it is. I don't care what sin it is. This is what God has to say about this. Yes, you can habitually sin. Yes, you can as a Christian habitually live in sin. Is it the will of God? Never. But God says, why would you want to do that? Why not learn how to walk in victory? I've given it to you in my word. This is how you do it. It's there, folks. It's good news, isn't it? I think it's great, great news. So this is winning the war inside, and we can win the war inside. Now, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, this is where this all begins, okay? Put your faith in him today to get you to heaven. He will save you, become his child. And with that, then he gives you that new nature, and he gives you the Holy Spirit, and he gives you the word of God. And guess what? You're on your way. Bumps along the way, no doubt. But he can provide for us success. And can I put it this way? Victory over ourselves. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.